Well, it's good to see everybody here. I know the roads are kind of crazy and looking a little better this morning. They were really bad yesterday. I had to speak in federal way and had to leave at five in the morning in the middle of a snowstorm. And the roads didn't get clear until a couple couple miles before uh, the Tacoma the, uh, Narrows Bridge. So I'm glad things are starting to look a little bit better. But just pray for travel and safety for everybody. We're going to continue in our series on basic Christian beliefs, and um, and we're going to talk about the virgin birth, and then we might get into the substitutionary death of Christ today. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 25. When you get a chance after church, say hello to Marshall. Marshall's been in counter-cult ministries for a long, long time. I don't want to give away your age and stuff like that, but he's been a fearless defender of the faith and even even is able to put up with, with non-believers, obnoxious non-believers until he leads them to Christ, and that's how, that's how we got Bill. So, uh, okay, so let's go to the Lord once again in prayer that uh, he anoints the, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, that uh, in the midst of the confusion and the sinfulness and the arrogance of our culture, uh, at a time when many churches are no longer proclaiming your truth and watering things down and going woke and becoming politically correct, I thank you, Lord, that there is still a remnant. There's a remnant in Kitsap County. There's a remnant in Washington State. There's a remnant in America. There's a remnant throughout the world of people who will not bend the knee to false gods, who will not worship the state, the people who love you, and they love your word, and they love your people. And so I pray, Lord, that, uh, that part of that remnant is here today, and they came to hear your truth, not the faulty wisdom of man. So I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would take this, this fallible preacher, that you would anoint me with your spirit, fill me with your spirit, so that you would cancel the man and that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that your truth would be proclaimed in power, through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, and that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive your truth and that uh, you would empower us to apply it to our lives so that we could obey you from the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, with basic Christian beliefs, we already talked about the Trinity, that the Bible teaches there's only one true God, but this one true God exists throughout all eternity as three equal persons the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that that God created the heavens and the earth. God didn't use evolution. Um, God created everything else that exists. Of course, he is the uncreated, uncaused cause of all that exists. Uh, We talked about the Bible being God, in the originals, being God's perfect word, totally without error. So as our culture comes up with these self-proclaimed geniuses who have all the answers to all our problems and and uh, we just need to get on board with them. We test what they say uh, 
with the 66 books of the Bible. And if it fails that test, we reject it. We stand on God's truth because the Bible is God's word totally without error. We talked about the, the fact that we Christians believe that man is fallen and sinful and we cannot save ourselves. And salvation is a free gift. It's by God's grace alone. We receive it through faith alone in Jesus alone. And so, um, you know, we're trusting in King Jesus to save us. You know, not Bill Gates, not the guy in the White House, okay? Um, not the Vatican or whatever. We're, we're trusting in the Lord Jesus and in him alone. And then we talked about the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God the Son, God the second person of the Trinity. And now we're going to talk about the incarnation, God the Son becoming a man. He became a man through the virgin birth, that Jesus uh, of Nazareth was born to a virgin. Now, you go back into the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7, that's where this is predicted, and you had there... You had King Ahaz, and um, he was the king of Judah, and he was getting nervous because the Assyrian Empire was battering the northern tribes of Israel and taking them captive, and he thought that they were going to go down as well. And if God didn't miraculously intervene, they would have gone down. So he's looking for hope. He turns to Isaiah the prophet. He's looking for hope. He's going through a, a tough time. And so Isaiah tells him in Isaiah 7, 14, says, Behold, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. How many times are we going through difficult times? And we're crying out to God. It's like, man, I got this problem. You know, maybe it's not an Assyrian invasion. Maybe it's just, you know, you might lose your job. Maybe you don't know where your next mortgage payment's going to come from. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. And you're going through difficult times, and you cry out to God. You know, what would you have done if this was like 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus, and you're crying out, Lord, help me. I'm going to be there for you. I'll give you a sign. A virgin is going to give birth. a boy he's going to be Emmanuel God with us you know, I'm sure King Ahaz probably scratched his head like he's eh. kind of hoping for you know some kind of some kind of sign right here and now or you know and right now we're probably praying prayers and Lord show me show me that this situation isn't going to destroy me Show me that you're going to rescue me. And God might be telling us, don't worry. The sun's going to be darkened. The moon's not going to give us light. The stars are going to fall from the sky. The powers of the heavens are going to be shaken. And my son Jesus is coming back. And how many of us, instead of rejoicing in that, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I read that once in the Bible, God, but isn't there something else you can give me a little hope with? But Sometimes we got to be patient. Sometimes the promises are promises of God that we don't even see fulfilled in our own lifetime. But for King Ahaz, 
God said, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to protect you from the Assyrians, but I'll give you a sign. The virgin's going to be with child and bear a son. His name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. Okay? And you move forward 700 years. There's a little Jewish teenage girl. The Jews are being overrun and trampled on by the Roman Empire. A little Jewish teenage girl, she's crying out to God. She sees the difficulties of life, the difficulties her people are going through. And she's looking for an answer. She gets the same answer as Ahaz, but it's 700 years later and it's a lot more personal to her. This little Jewish girl named Mary. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, you know, we got our, our Catholic friends, they, they pray to Mary. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to only pray to God. You don't pray to Mary and the saints. Uh, they venerate her. It's like, look, look you, you, you bow before the triune God, period. Okay? And, um, but sometimes our reaction is to go too far in the other direction and think we have to badmouth Mary. Okay? Now, I don't think anybody here would badmouth my mother, even though she died in 2000, out of respect for me. Don't badmouth Jesus' mother at the same time. Recognize she's just a sinner like us who was saved by God become a man. Um, and... Um, and we don't pray to Mary, we pray to Jesus. But just keep that in mind. Look at Joseph's, Matthew got his information from Joseph. How do we know that? Because Joseph talks about dreams that he had. And it's Joseph's genealogy. Whereas Luke has Mary's perspective, Mary's prayers, Mary's uh, genealogy, okay? And, uh, and so Matthew 1, 18 through 25, Matthew... Uh, talks about the virgin birth, that God the Son became a man, the incarnation, by being born of a virgin named Mary. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary uh, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, betrothal, uh, an engagement back then, it's like being engaged today where you're not supposed to have sexual union until the wedding night. However, you can break off an engagement and you don't need to get a divorce now. Back then, uh, even with the engagement, let's say you had an engagement and it lasted several months to a year, you, you would have to get a divorce to break that off even though you had no sexual union at that point. And so that's what's going on here. They're kind of engaged, but kind of married, but there's no sexual union. And, uh, and she's found with child of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You know, in the Old Testament, they'd stone you to death for, for adultery and... and um, 
uh, here he's thinking, gee, what's best for her? Uh, but I can't marry this lady if she's unfaithful to me. And, um, you know, and this is where, you know, Richard Dawkins and the New Atheist, they always say, oh, these Christians believed in miracles because they were pre-scientific, okay? Because way 2,000 years ago, pre-scientific. You know what? The early church knew enough about science to know where babies come from, okay? So, I mean, Joseph's doing the math here. My wife is pregnant, and I didn't have relations with her. So he knew enough about science to be very frustrated about the situation, to say the least. Uh, the early church knew enough about science to know the dead bodies are supposed to stay dead. And so when they saw Jesus, after their heart was broken on a Friday night, they saw Jesus on a Sunday afternoon. And they were science, they knew enough about science to know dead bodies are supposed to say dead. He's not dead, he's alive. And his, his body's been glorified. Uh, he has conquered death. And by, by the way, you might say, well, I don't believe that happened. Okay, well, then you explain how Christianity got here today. 2,000 years later, Gentiles all over the world gathering to worship the crucified and risen Jewish Messiah. There's no other explanation other than the one given in the Bible that he did rise from the dead. But Joseph knew enough about science to know... <clears throat> Ladies don't just get pregnant. And so he was thinking about, he's very tormented because I'm sure he loved her. Uh, but he's thinking to protect her from being humiliated and looked down upon by others, um, <clears throat> to protect my reputation. And maybe there's a faithful lady that God has for me later on. Who knows? Uh, Joseph thought, well, maybe I could just put her away secretly. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, he's a descendant of David. He's in the royal line. Of course, the royal line has been cursed by Jeconiah's curse, that bloodline. So even, so the whole royal line, you got to somehow be a descendant of David outside the royal line, and Jesus was through uh, David's son, Nathan, not David's son, uh, Solomon, and then through Mary. So Jesus biologically <clears throat> was a son of David uh, through Mary, but uh, he was adopted into the royal line. So he's a real biological son of David, and he also has the right to sit on the throne whereas Joseph would have been disqualified because of Jeconiah's curse. And, um, and so by while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, uh, your wife, uh, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Man, you talk about the trust in God he's got to have at that point. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It will be Joshua, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. 
That means Yahweh is salvation, okay? <clears throat> so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, is Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph is a very, very godly, very faithful man. Can you, can you imagine that, all the humiliation he and Mary are going to go through? Most people aren't going to believe some virgin birth story. And word got around. I mean, in John chapter 8, the Jewish religious leaders told Jesus, they said, well, we were not born of fornication, of sexual immorality, were we? They were kind of implying that they thought Jesus was. And um, so says, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Uh, Roman Catholic Church disagrees. Mary was the ever virgin, never had sexual relations with her husband. That would have been a, a sinful wife. I used to, you know, as a growing up a Catholic kid, I used to feel sorry for Joseph, you know? Finds a lady that he's really attracted to, loves her, and they get married, and because God does this tremendous miracle, he's not allowed to have sexual relations with his wife for his whole life. No, just read the Bible. They had lots of sons and daughters. Um, they resumed a normal... When, when the Bible says... Joseph kept his wife a virgin until Jesus was born, okay? It was after Jesus was born. It was a normal marriage, okay? And, um, but whatever the case, that's Joseph's account. Now, when we think about the wise men coming in chapter 2, you know, we have usually have three wise men. No, we don't know how many there were. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but there could have been 50 of them for all we know. And they didn't come to the manger. They, they stayed that night. Jesus, you know, God the Son became a man. He was born in a manger. You know, it's just like when Jesus announced, publicly announced without words that he's the Jewish Messiah, he rode in Jerusalem on a donkey rather than a war horse, a lowly donkey. He was born, you know, he's, a, he's, he, the, the, he's emphasizing humility. He's humbling himself. By becoming a man to provide salvation for us. But eventually they rented a house there in Bethlehem. And it could have been a year, year and a half later that the wise men showed up. That's why King Herod tried to kill every baby two years old and younger. And um, um, because Jesus was already, had been born uh, earlier. So, they, so Joseph intended to raise Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, in Bethlehem, just six miles outside of Jerusalem, in the city of David, what better place to raise the Messiah? But then when he finds out, the angel tells him that Herod's trying to kill him, it's time to move on to Egypt. Now, where they get all the money to move to Egypt and to set yourself up? You don't even have a job yet. <clears throat> There's the gold from the uh, wise men. So whatever the case <clears throat> That's Joseph's perspective there. Mary gives her, her perspective to Luke. So probably, I, I think Matthew, I disagree with so many scholars today, 
<clears throat> and they disagree with the early church fathers. I think Matthew wrote his gospel first. And while Matthew started taking notes on it, it was probably even before the crucifixion. I mean, I, I like the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew taking, he's probably the stenographer, the scribe uh, for Jesus. It, it, if I was God and I became a man, it was before television and radio and <clears throat> audio recording, um, somebody's going somebody's to be taking notes, okay? And, um, and uh, a tax collector would probably be better at taking notes than, um, than fishermen would. And uh, so Matthew's taking notes, and he's thinking, you know, hey, just Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and all. And so Joseph was probably still alive early in Jesus' ministry, and so he interviewed him. And Joseph puts that perspective. Um, you know, it's also interesting, too. You know, guy's perspective, we like the big things, you know. And, um, um, you know, it'd be like, hey, did you have a great weekend? Yeah, my, my, my football team won, you know, and this and that. And we conquered and this and that. And you ask the lady, did you have a great weekend? Yeah, my, my husband got me some, some flowers and we went out to eat or something, you know. And... You see that in the Gospel of Luke. You see things that are, you know, given birth to Emmanuel, the promised one, the Messiah in a manger, and lowly shepherds come in there. And her conversations with her, her relative, Elizabeth. <clears throat> and so look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 to 38. Now, in the sixth month, that was six months after John the Baptist was conceived. So John the Baptist is six months old in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Galilee was considered like second-class Jews live up in Galilee to the north, and then Nazareth, the Galileans looked down on those in Nazareth. You know, so, so so Jews from Judea, the southern region, would say, can anything good come out of Galilee? If you lived in Galilee, you would say, can anything good come out of the town of Nazareth? Okay? So it was the last, that was the, the last place on the planet Earth, or at least the last place in Israel, where anybody would expect Messiah to grow up. And so Joseph, when he got back from Egypt, was warned, Herod's cruelest son is ruling in Judea. Don't go to Bethlehem. Go back to Nazareth. And um, another one of Herod's cruel sons was ruling there, but nobody's expecting the Messiah to grow up in Nazareth. And uh, so Mary's up there in Nazareth, and the angel Gabriel sent by God to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Though, you know, yeah, the emphasis is not on how blessed Mary is. Okay? When God blesses you, if you focus on how blessed you are, you're going to be an arrogant person who's going to be able to accomplish very little for the kingdom of God. 
So when you get blessed, the focus should be on how you can bless others, but even more importantly, where did that blessing come from? And uh, Mary was blessed more than any other woman because she was blessed by God to bear the Messiah, God incarnate, the Lord Jesus. But when she saw him, saw Gabriel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Boy, that's like one of the biggest understatements in the Bible. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, Son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? See, she wasn't, again, Richard Dawkins. Oh, they're so pre-scientific. They just thought these things happened. No, she knew. Virgins don't have babies. She knew where babies came from. So she's asking that question. How can this be? I've never had sexual relations with a man. Then the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Yeah. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She, look, she knew she was going to be ridiculed. If you're a young teenage unwed mom today, that's, that's gotten so common that most people aren't going to come down on you for it. They're going to stand by. They, even, the, even people who say, no, you should get married first. That's what the Bible teaches and all. Uh, but back then, I mean, in the Jewish culture, that was, I mean, that was, that just destroyed your reputation for the rest of your life. And so uh, people who didn't believe when Joseph and Mary told them that Mary was a virgin and was the power of God, they would have viewed Mary as being immoral and they would have viewed Joseph as being a fool who accepted that story. So they would have been laughed at and been ridiculed in the Jewish community. Anyone who was not open to the miracle working power of God uh, who performed the, the virgin birth. Uh, then look a little further, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Now it came to those days, came to pass in those days that a decree went out from, from Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. So he's got to travel miles, dozens and dozens of miles uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. 
And, uh, you, know, you know, people would say, well, that's stupid. Why would, why would you have a census and send people back to the land of their birth? That doesn't make any sense. It's not cost-effective. Um, uh, it would just make more sense to just count them right where they're at and figure out the rest on, on your own. Um, let me ask you this. When's the last time the government ever did anything that was cost-effective? Okay. So, uh, so yeah, they did things like this. We also know there was another census taken during the reign of Quirinius as well. Uh, verse 6, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. God the Son became a man. And we didn't have a place for him to lay down his head. And, uh, you know, and D.L. Moody and uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon both preached messages uh, titled No Room for Jesus. And we're no different today than we were 2,000 years ago. Does our culture have room for Jesus? No, we don't want them in the universities. We don't want them in the schools. We don't want them in the media. You know, I used to get screamed at at Barnes & Noble for teaching Bible studies because somebody would come along telling me that I'm supposed to keep my religious views to myself and you should only share them in your church and in your home, not when you're at Barnes & Noble. So I used to just sit there and take it. I remember this one lady just screaming at me. And uh, and I waited for her to come up for air, and I just said, uh, well, I want to thank you for sharing your religious views with me in public. Um, I only wish you'd give me the, the same courtesy. And then she stormed out. The Barnes & Noble staff defended me, kicked her out, defended me. So I was really, really happy about that. But um, um, I remember her husband, when she was screaming at me, I thought, Maybe her husband wants a piece of me. I looked over him. He's reading the newspaper with a smile on his face, like, thanks for giving me a break, bud. And, uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, God, the son became a man. We had no room for him in the end. Okay. Our world doesn't have room for Jesus. Our culture, our country doesn't have room for Jesus. Washington State doesn't have. We got room for Inslee. We got no room for Jesus. You know, each and every person's got to ask yourself individually, do you have room for Jesus? And I'm not, I'm not talking to, I'm not talking about put King Jesus in your basement. Okay. He gets the master bedroom, okay? And um, you have no room for Jesus? It's a big mistake because if you die and you still have no room for Jesus, he's got no room for you other than a place called hell. And um, I remember an atheist, this guy pretended to be, um, Pat, you remember when that atheist had that Bible uh, Oh, there it is. I was looking at the wrong bald-headed guy. And, uh, and, uh, but, uh, 
I could see in the reflection on his forehead, though. But, but, uh, uh, but remember when that guy that uh, this guy had a Bible something program podcast and asked me, I thought oh, I never heard of it, but yeah, I'll help the guy out, you know, brother in the Lord. And the guy is interviewing me on his radio podcast, and it took me about ten minutes to realize he's not Christian; he's anti-Christian. And so it would turn into just a mudslinging, ugly, ugly thing. We posted it anyway. We titled it Caught Off Guard by an Atheist. But he was saying God was so evil to send people to hell forever and ever. I said, look, look, God is God. And he said, there's only two places to spend eternity. One is heaven, the other is hell. Why would God send me to hell? And it's not blah, blah, blah. And then finally he asked me what heaven is like. I said, heaven is a place where you worship and serve Jesus forever and ever and ever. You know what this guy said? I'd never want to go there. And I said, well, then he doesn't send you to hell. You're sending yourself, man. You're sending yourself. But most people on planet Earth throughout history have had no room for Jesus, you know? This isn't like, what is that, Monty, I'm going to date myself here. Monty Hall, let's make a deal. You know, you really want door number one or door number two? Like, let me tell you, if you got no room for Jesus, he's got no room for you. And uh, but when Jesus was born, there was no room for him born in a manger to the Virgin Mary. Now, now what was going on here? Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We'll look at verse 1 and then verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's a distinct person from the Father, but they're both God. So two of the three persons of the Trinity are mentioned there. It says, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So you got the triune God and then that which the triune God created. And so Jesus here, he's with God in the beginning. He always was, okay? He's eternal. He's God the Son. He created the universe. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh, became one of us. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John bore witness of him, the guy that was born six months earlier. So the theological perspective here is that the eternal God, the Son, at a point in time, added a human nature and became man without ceasing to be God. Okay, and now how did that come about? It came about through the virgin birth. Okay, and we could speculate uh, a lot about it. You know, the uh, how did how could Jesus receive his humanity from Mary, and yet not inherit a sin nature? And so, what the Roman Catholic theologians have said, they said, well, then maybe Mary didn't have a sin nature. Well, wait a minute. Now you pushed it back. Well, then how did Mary not have a sin nature? By the way, she calls God her Savior, 
when she prays in Luke chapter 1, you need to be saved from your sin. So Mary acknowledged that she was sinful. And um, but with the Catholic Church, they say, well, she was, she had to be conceived without sin. I used to think as a little kid, growing up in a Catholic home, and they talked about the Immaculate Conception of Mary, I thought it meant when she immaculately conceived Jesus. I didn't know it was her being immaculately conceived. No, that's not true. I mean, if you really push that line of reasoning back, well, then her parents would have to be immaculately conceived, and you'd have to trace that all the way back to Adam and Eve. You just destroyed original sin, the doctrine of original sin and the fall of mankind. Now, a lot of Protestants don't do any better. They said that God, maybe God placed uh, a fertilized egg in the womb of Mary. Well, my problem with that is that if you're not really, if your lineage is not really traced back to Adam, you're not really human. The human race has to come from Adam. Even Eve had to come from his side. And uh, Jesus, Mary would be the surrogate mother of an alien. Okay? So Jesus really did get his humanity from Mary. And so I would say either you could speculate, but make sure your speculation is biblical, or you could just acknowledge, hey, it's a mystery. Okay? And so I think the mystery is a safe place to be, although I think, do think it is interesting who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve. Well, then why does the Bible always blame Adam for the fall of mankind? So something tells me mankind didn't fall till Adam fell. Okay? Jesus inherited his human nature from Mary without a human father, and he was conceived without a sin nature. So it is possible, I'm not dogmatic on it, but it's possible that the fallen nature is passed down from the father to the children, okay? And um, that would explain both there that uh, mankind had not fallen until Adam fell and how Jesus could receive his humanity from Mary and yet still be conceived. I just want to talk about one more thing before we start, move on and introduce the the doctrine of the substitutionary death of Christ where Jesus died for our sins. But what you see written over the birth accounts is humility. Humility. James, in James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. By the way, James was one of those half-brothers of Jesus. Okay. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see Jesus telling his apostles, you want to be great in my kingdom? Be the servant of all. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay? And so you go back to a manger. You go back to a very humble teenage Jewish girl, okay? And we know the song, Mary, Did You Know? And I hate when theologians pick it apart. Yes, she knew. Look at what the angel told her. Yeah, she knew it then. Did she know when he was when Jesus was 12 and she's trying to correct him and Jesus is without sin and Jesus, the 12-year-old Jesus, has to correct his mom? Come on. You knew I had to be about my father's business. So... Yeah, Mary knew on Monday. On Tuesday, she kind of forget. 
okay? She wasn't real thrilled about Jesus' ministry, showing up with his brothers when they were mocking him. Um, so she had good days and bad days, just like we do. But she was a humble Jewish guy. Let me tell you something right now. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, he will do powerful things through you for his glory. The world might not view them as powerful, but God will do powerful things through any of his children who humble themselves uh, before him. Um, Arrogance is not one of the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Um, We have to humble. It's our job to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's his job to exalt us, okay? And um, um, encourage others. Everybody needs encouragement. Encourage others. Encourage your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Many of you encourage me. You hear what you think is a good sermon. You say, great sermon, pastor, and that encourages me. That's a good thing. But when you're being encouraged, don't let it go to your head. Okay? You really get God equipped King Saul. I really believe God equipped King Saul, the tallest Israelite, who was much shorter than Goliath, but God equipped him, gave him everything he needed to whoop Goliath but he wouldn't do it. David's big buff brother, Eliab, wouldn't do it, and so God chose David, a man after God's own heart, a shepherd boy, and killed a blaspheming Philistine giant uh, on that day. If you humble yourself before the Lord, God will do powerful things through you for his glory. And um, uh, look what God did through a teenage Jewish peasant girl, okay? And I tell you, I don't think she's happy with all the focus on her on planet Earth today. I think she wants to focus on the virgin-born Jewish Messiah, the Lord Lord Jesus himself. And um, these uh, supposed visitations of Mary... Um, there's always a demotion of Jesus. I think something real is going on, but I think it's closer to UFO deception and uh, demonic activity than it is to uh, Mary really appearing. You know, God sent Moses and Elijah to be there with Jesus on the transfiguration, but um, uh, if if you want to know what the true Mary of the Bible would say, let's look at John chapter 2. Very, the Bible puts so little emphasis on Mary that when we see our Roman Catholic friends with all the emphasis on Mary, you see that that's two totally different approaches. But very little of what Mary ever said was actually quoted during Jesus' life. Um, but, you know, the wedding feast of Cana in Galilee, Jesus tells them, hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, woman... What do you concern? What What does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. It was. So look, it's not. It's not time yet for me to start performing public miracles. And then she knew he was a good son, so she just she turned to the servants and said, "Whatever he says to you, do it." 
So you want to make the true Mary in heaven happy? Obey Jesus, okay? And um, don't venerate Mary. Don't pray to Mary. Uh, but that's the virgin birth, that God the Son became a man. Jesus had no earthly father. He was born to the virgin Mary. Now, and, uh, a lot of us will sit back and say, well, how could that be? Well, does that sound impossible? Yeah, biologically it sounds impossible, but miracles supersede the laws of nature. If there is a God who created the entire universe out of nothing, and there is, that's what we believe, then we should have no problem uh, believing that that God can bring, can have conceived and be brought to birth the Jewish Messiah uh, to a virgin, okay? And, um, and so whenever you find a quote-unquote Christian scholar who denies the virgin birth, I can almost guarantee they're also going to explain away Jesus' deity, that Jesus is God, and salvation only through Jesus. And in the end, what you find out is it's probably a guy that doesn't even know the Lord, and just a, another false preacher. And so now, so the virgin birth, Jesus was born to a virgin. So we as Christians, we believe in the Trinity, creation by God. The Bible is God's perfect word. Man is fallen and sinful. We cannot save ourselves. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And Jesus is God the Son, become a man, and he became a man through the virgin birth, born to the virgin Mary. Now we look at the substitutionary death of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. Paul starts to quote an ancient creed here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 3, Paul's telling the Corinthians, in fact, we'll start in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. So he's going to give gospel, the gospel, the good news. Well, what is the gospel? He's going to explain what it is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. When he planted the church four years earlier, this is about 55 AD, he's writing this, he planted the church 51 AD. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. So the gospel saves. If you, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Now he's going to give the gospel. And there's many different presentations of the gospel, but it contains the same core doctrines. Okay? And here it is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was saying it was predicted in the Old Testament that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. They pierced my hands and my feet. They cast lots from my garments. That's King David writing about 1,000 B.C. in Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, that he would die for our iniquity. Okay? So I deliver first to, to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So the resurrection is even predicted in the Old Testament. That he was seen by Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, 
then by the 12, and it goes, goes over a summary list of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, raised from the dead, and appeared to the disciples, this is, these are some of the core doctrines of the gospel. What we often call the gospel is our response to the gospel. Admit that we're sinners, we can't save ourselves, and we need to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. That's how you accept the gospel, which saves, okay? And so this is right at the core of Christianity. You show me a person that doesn't believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and I'll show you a non-believer, okay? And, um, and he didn't die on the cross for our sins as one of many options, one of many ways to God. This was the only way to the Father. This is why John could say in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, uh, you know, I was, when I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic home, but as I became a teenager, I started questioning things. I started questioning God's existence. And so I was kind of a skeptic when I went in the Marine Corps. One thing led to another. I was not for truth, but for meaning. And eventually uh, uh, accepted Christ, was given the gospel message, and trusted in Jesus um, uh, for, for salvation. And, um, but... Uh, his death on the cross for our sins, acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that's, that is core biblical Christianity. And this idea that there's other ways to heaven is just not biblical. But I can remember being a kid, getting back to that, being a kid growing up in the Catholic Church and not knowing what I believed, but I actually thought when the priest said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I actually thought he was talking about Jesus. So that when I did accept the Lord at age 21 and didn't know how to pray, but understood the gospel message, uh, I just said, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on me. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on me. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Grant me peace. And then I also quoted from the Catholic Mass, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you. Only say the word and I shall be healed. And I did not know that when the priest said that, he's holding up the host. He thinks he's just transformed the host into the body and blood of Christ. And so he says, behold, the Lamb of God. It takes, that's why they genuflect. No. Jesus is the Lamb of God. It's the way the sin of the world. Not the host. Not anything else. It's King Jesus. You know, if I have to go to a relative's funeral in the Catholic Church, go back to Jersey, all my relatives are Catholics. Uh, I never walked down the center aisle because then they would be they would freak out because they walked down the center aisle and it wouldn't genuflect. So I walk down the side aisle. Now, you're still supposed to genuflect. Face the tapestry where they keep the, the sacristy, where they keep the host, consecrated host. You're still supposed to genuflect, but I didn't. Uh, uh, but most Catholics don't know that, so they don't either. So that way I don't cause World War III at, uh, you know, um, 
Uncle Sharky's funeral or something, you know, but, but, um, um, but those are two things that I want us to get out of this message today. There was no room for him in the end. Is there room? Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room for Jesus in your heart? Are you willing to trust in him alone for salvation? Are you going to be like the wise men who worship him or like King Herod and say, I refuse to come off my throne for you, okay? And um, and then are you going to bow before Jesus alone? We got government leaders. They want us to bow. I'm not bowing before the state. I'm going to be a good citizen and pay my taxes and obey the good laws. But when a state tells me to bow, you know, the early church, they had supposed to say Caesar is Lord. It said, no, Jesus is Lord. We're not going to bow before your idols. Okay? So, um, um, like, like the wise men who would bow before the Christ child, We'll bow before the Lord Jesus. We don't bow before anyone else. But um, but do are we humble? Humble enough? Are we going to humble ourselves before the God so that God can exalt us and do his work in our lives? Do we have room for Jesus in our lives? And who are you going to bow before? Uh, look at Matthew one twenty one. Just a couple other passages, and then we'll close up. Matthew one twenty one. We looked at this one earlier. when we dealt with the the virgin birth. Matthew 1, 21. And she, the virgin, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We're going to look at this closer next week. He died to save us from our sins. He took our punishment for us. He died in our place. Okay? He defeated Satan and his demons. He paid the price for our sins to God the Father's justice. Okay? Um, God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to pay for our punishment in full. Let's, let's close with 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians Pedro, how come every time I, I'm, I say I'm closing, you say amen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I can hear you, brother. I like, uh, I love preaching at people who preach back at me. It's, uh, it's like uh, some, you know, it, not everybody's emotional, you know, but it's kind of, I get convicted. I get emotional during the praise and worship. And that's why I kind of like to sit in the back. I don't want to freak people out. I might have a crying attack. Visitors won't come back, think I'm a creep or something. But uh, um, but it does convict me that I show a lot more passion and a lot more emotion watching a Raider game than I do preaching God's word. But for those of us 
you know, Cease is kind of wild, but some of you are like quiet, mellow, mellow people. So I'd expect you to worship God in a quiet, mellow way. But uh, but if you're loud like me and Pedro and you grew up in a, that part of the country, um, we're both from Texas. No, not really. Um, then you'd expect a little bit of passion there. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says this, and he died for all. That's Jesus. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Okay. And, um, and so I'm going to close with that. That Jesus died for you, you need to live for him. Be humble like Mary and Joseph. I mean, they were so humble, they were willing to be humiliated throughout their lives for the cause of the gospel. Be humble. Make room for Jesus. Okay? And um, make that decision. I'm going to bow before Jesus and before him alone, not before anyone else. And Jesus died for you. The least you can do is to live for him. When you go to you ought to go to sleep to get some rest, to strengthen your body so you can wake up in the morning and serve King Jesus, okay? When you breathe, you should take every breath so you can serve King Jesus. I'll be honest with you, when I have a cup of coffee in the morning, it's to help me to more effectively serve King Jesus. I don't want to be a zombie the whole day. But whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do all things for the glory of God, for the glory of our King. For the virgin born, crucified, risen, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, Mary's having a tough time. 700 years earlier, King Ahaz was having a tough time. Look, just give me a sign, God. Give me a sign that things are going to get better. Things are going pretty bad here in America. We're looking for a sign. We're looking for things to get better. Well, an ancient creed in the church about the virgin-born Savior said Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. He was already born of a virgin. He already died on the cross for our sins, so he trusted him for salvation. You want a sign? God will give you a sign. That sign, the sign of the Son of Man, will appear in the sky. When the sun's darkened, the moon doesn't get its light, stars fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens are shaken. You want a sign? You wait, because King Jesus, he's going to come back, and he's going to make things right on planet Earth. Let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just we thank you, Lord, that you take the the little downcast, things that are looked down upon by the world. You can take what the world views as, as foolish. You can take what the world views as weak and powerless. And you can work your mighty miracles through those things. And so, Lord, 
as Mary and Joseph submitted to your will. I pray that we would humbly submit to your will as well. I pray that we would acknowledge that the Bible is your word and that the Bible teaches us that Jesus was born of a virgin, that we would acknowledge that. And if the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we would acknowledge that as well. And so I pray, Lord, that each one of us would humble ourselves before you. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, there would be room in our hearts for King Jesus. Not so that he could be part of our lives, but so that he could be our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would bow before King Jesus and before him alone. He is the lamb who was slain, the virgin born, but he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah who will come back and conquer and take his stand upon the earth. So may we bow before him alone and refuse to worship anyone but Jesus. And so humble us, Lord, but remind us that Jesus died for us so that we should live for him. So empower us, Lord, with through the Holy Spirit to live for Jesus and not for ourselves. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would acknowledge we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, but that Jesus, the virgin-born Messiah, died on the cross for our sins, took our punishment for us, and so I pray that we would acknowledge that we're sinners who cannot save ourselves and that we would trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation, knowing that he not only died for us, but he conquered death by rising from the grave and that the day will come when he will return and take his stand upon the earth. May all the glory go to you, Father, and your son, King Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, don't forget the, the Bible studies. Uh, if the weather's really, really crazy, you know, decide if you want to just stay home or whatever, but, but uh, if it's doable, we're still going to have the studies. God bless you now. Bye.